0: Turn your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and as you're turning your Bible there, share a little something with you. Actually, it's a question. Why don't don't pirates shower before walking the plank? Because they just wash up on shore. They wash up on shore, Charlie. Amen. This morning, we're going to wrap up our study on the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And with that, we've been looking at the most important question associated with his return. And that is, are you ready? Are you ready? The return of Christ is a subject so important. That 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament reference his return. In all, there are almost 2,000 references to Christ's return in in all of God's Word. 2,000. Now, we know as children of God, if there's just one thing that's listed in the Bible, it's important. We need to understand, something that's listed almost 2,000 times, how important that would be. When we're studying the the Bible prophecy, as I mentioned, the book of Revelation in the New Testament is the most comprehensive, the most important, has the most information about um, Bible prophecy. And in the Old Testament, that would be the book of Daniel. Now, last week, we looked at a very important piece of Scripture that was sandwiched in between these two books. And that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's skip down to verse 50, if you would. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to skip down to verse 50. Now this I say, brethren. Now that connotation, who is God talking to? He's talking to the born-again believer. Whenever you see that, brethren... He's talking to the brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is directed to those who are saved, those who are born again. Now now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Remember, mystery is just something that wasn't known before this time. God gave the Apostle Paul this special revelation, and he's passing it on to us. And this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, the grave, where is your victory? Again, God is dealing with the reality of mortality, the reality of death. Amen. Because of sin, We are dying every single day. That is the reality of death. We see it every time we look in the mirror as the years go by, right? We see those mortality spots, the wrinkles on our face, the age spots. That's letting us know that each and every day we are closer to mortality. So in order for us to be able to, as we read here, inherit the kingdom of God, In order for us to live forever in heaven, there has to be a change. Amen? And that's exactly what we see here in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And again, God uses that word sleep when he's talking about the death of a born-again believer. Because it's definitely not the end, is it? That's just the beginning. So he says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be what? Changed. And then he repeats it in the next verse. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So we have to understand that this current body, this flesh and blood, God makes it very clear, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we have to go through a change. And that change is that God has prepared for us, every born-again believer, has prepared for us a new glorified spiritual body that we will inherit, that we will have to go through eternity. This is the death of death. Aging, sin, death. They no longer have any effect on us. As a believer, we no longer fear death. Why? Because death no longer has dominion over us. Amen. Praise goes to Christ. Why? Simply put in verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the victory over death. That is the victory over the grave. That is the victory over our enemy. Amen. Thanks be to God for giving us that victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now. Now. I want to go back to where we started in this study a couple weeks ago. I want to go back to First Thessalonians chapter four, if we can. I want us to. I want to point out some truths that kind of tie uh, this whole study together. First, uh, Thessalonians chapter four, and we'll skip down to verse thirteen, if we would. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Again, who's this directed to? The born-again believers, right? I do not want you as born-again believers to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Again, those who have died in Christ, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Christ, those who have died in Christ. Now, I want to point out a few things here. First thing I want us to see is that we are to be in the know. Amen? We are to be informed. God tells us right at the beginning, I do not want you to be ignorant. Ignorant means unknowing. Amen? It means that that we're uninformed. That is not God's will for us. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. God does not want his children. God does not want you and I to guess about our future. Amen? He does not want us to guess about eternity. Could we live in peace if we had to guess about eternity? That's not a peaceful way to live, is it? God wants us to have comfort. He wants us to have peace in Christ. Therefore, we don't have to guess about eternity. He wants us to be in the know. He wants us to be sure and assured about eternity, plain and simple. Second thing, he also wants us to know that we are not to grieve as those who are unsaved do. We are not to grieve As the lost do. I don't want you to be ignorant brethren. Concerning those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died in Christ. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Those who have no hope are who? Those who are not born again. Those who don't have Jesus Christ. If you don't have Christ you can't have hope. Now we need to understand that death absolutely brings sorrow and tears, doesn't it, right? Tears and sorrow, that's just part, that's the natural part of the grieving process. So I want to clarify here. I I want us to understand what God is saying. God is not telling us not to grieve, amen? He's not saying you shouldn't grieve. What he's saying is for us not to grieve as those who have no hope. We're not to grieve like those who are unsaved. When a believer dies, and God uses that term here, sleep, when a believer dies in Christ, it's not the end. Amen? We have that blessed hope. We have that assurance of eternal life through Jesus Christ. The grave is only for what? This old body. Amen? The grave is only for this old body. It's flesh and blood. But it's also just the beginning of eternity. We have comfort in death. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 13. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together. Listen to what he says. For I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than then sorrow. That is all through our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God does not want us to grieve as the lost do. What else does God want us to see here? He also wants us to understand that we are to face death without fear. Face death without fear. Look at verse 14 back in 1 Thessalonians 4. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, I want to stress that. If we believe that Jesus died, believing in Jesus' death, that's not unusual, is it? Because we see people dying all the time. But the stress is, and rose again. Amen? Make sure you you see that. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have died in Jesus. Rose again. You see, that is our Christian hope. That is our assurance beyond the grave. This is what separates Jesus Christ from every other religion. Amen? I want you to understand that. This is what separates Jesus Christ from every other religion. And you've heard me say it a hundred times. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. Amen? Religion simply means that's our attempt to reach heaven on our own. That's mankind's attempt to reach heaven on our own, and we can't do it. That's what religion is. But that's what separates Christ from every other religion. You think of every religion out there. Their founder, their leader, has never ever risen from the dead, have they? Not Buddha, not Muhammad, Not Confucius, none of them, have risen from the dead. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. If none of them were able to get out of the grave, their bodies are still in the grave, aren't they? If none of them were able to get out of the grave themselves, if they weren't able to overcome death, how are they ever going to let anyone else get out of the grave? I want you to think about that. Amen? If they were able themselves to get out of the grave, how are they going to help us overcome death? The truth is, they can't. Amen? They can't. But praise God, Jesus' tomb is what? It's empty. Amen? Praise God, the tomb of Christ is empty. Why? Because he overcame the grave. He overcame death. He's the one who put death to death. Only he can cure sin. Only he can cure death. Only he has the cure for the grave. And the Bible tells us how. It says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. If we believe in Christ, we believe and put our faith and trust in him. He says that he will bring us with him. Amen? Verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have died in Christ. God will bring us with him if we have put our faith and trust in Christ. Amen? The fourth thing I want us to see here is that we are to know the order of prophetic events. God, again, does not want us to be ignorant. God wants us to be in a know. He wants us to understand the order of prophetic events. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. I want you to see that, right? Right? God is telling us here, there's going to be a shout of command, there's going to be an announcement by the archangel, and there's going to be a blast from the trumpet of God. All of these things will signify that Jesus is ready to come gather together every born-again believer. Amen? Those are the order of events. That's going to signify that Christ is going to come and bring back or bring home the believers. Let's pick back up in verse 16. So after that shout, the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. All of our loved ones who are born again, what does the Bible say? They're going to what? They're going to rise first. Amen? They're going to rise first first verse 17 then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up now that phrase caught up is where we get the word rapture that is the rapture of the born again believers it says those who are alive and remain shall be caught up they shall be raptured together with them which them The dead in Christ, they they rise first, then we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. So I want us to make sure we understand that is not the actual second coming of Christ, that is the rapture. Because Christ is not going to set his feet where? On this earth. It says that we are going to be caught up, we're going to be raptured to meet the Lord where? In the air. In the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So the order of prophetic events, these verses are outlining the literal rapture of, of the church, the literal rapture of all born-again believers. And I believe in the literal rapture of the church. God tells us right here exactly how it's going to happen. Amen? Believers will be caught up. They will be raptured and gathered together to be with Christ in the clouds, in the air. So we need to understand it's the rapture that will trigger the start of the seven-year tribulation. Amen? So the next great prophetic event to occur is the rapture. And that can happen when? Anytime. Amen? There is no more Bible prophecy that has to be fulfilled before the rapture occurs. It's all been fulfilled. So the next great prophetic event is the rapture. And once the rapture occurs, that will trigger the start of the seven-year tribulation period. That is the time when Antichrist will come, and he will take world power, and he will also deceive the world. God will pour out, during that seven-year time, God will also pour out his wrath and his judgment upon those who are left behind. Who are those who are left? Anyone who did not what? Believe in Christ, right? Right? That's those who will be left behind, those who didn't believe in Christ, those who chose to reject Jesus Christ. So during that seven-year tribulation period, God will also pour out his wrath and his judgment upon the world, upon those who are left behind for their rejection of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Now at the end of those seven years, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, That's when Jesus will come again. That is his literal return, his second coming. He will return, and the Bible says that he will stand on the Mount of Olives. Amen? We've read that last week in our scripture reading. He will stand on the Mount of Olives, and half will uh, slide to the east, and half will split to the west. When Christ comes and he stands on the Mount of Olives, this will lead to the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus will defeat Antichrist and his army, and he will cast Antichrist and his false prophet into hell, into Gehenna hell. He will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and he will reign there for a thousand years. That's known as the millennial reign of Christ. So that is a lot just summarized in a nutshell. But that is the order of prophetic events. Now, in the order of those events, the the most important thing that I want you to grab this morning, the one that I want you to remember, is that Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen? That is our comfort. That is our assurance. But for the unsaved, for the rest, you need to pay attention. Otherwise, you're not going to escape the grave. You need to be sure that the one that you believe in, you need to be sure that the one that you're placing your faith and your trust in has conquered the grave and has conquered death. As I said, otherwise, you're not going to be able to escape the grave or death either. Death is... Judgment, hell, that is what you have in store for you apart from Jesus Christ. The only way to get beyond the grave is to follow the one, the only one who has overcome it. And that one is coming very soon. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready? You know, so many people today waste their time... And waste their energy trying to find a way to cheat death, don't they? So many try to find a way to to live forever. Find that proverbial fountain of youth. Many have made the bad choice of of putting their faith in science. Very well-known people. From baseball great Ted Williams to Walt Disney himself. They have had their body or at least their head frozen cryogenically frozen. Why? Because they have this false hope. They have put their faith and trust in science. And they have this false hope that science will one day be able to bring them back to life. They're putting their faith in something that has never overcome death. Overcome the grave. Apart from Jesus Christ, death and the grave are batting a thousand. They've never lost. Years ago, I want to share a little something with you. Years ago, I saw a, a, a mystery movie where The main character was a a very immoral and maniacal wealthy woman. She'd been caught cheating. She'd been caught embezzling on on many, many occasions, but she always seemed to find a way to, to buy her way to freedom every single time. After years of getting over on the justice system, she was finally found guilty of murder, and she was sentenced to life in prison. What does she do? She immediately begins to devise a plan to buy her freedom once again. Her mark, her mark was an aging uh, prison guard who happened to be responsible for removing the body from the jail cell whenever a prisoner died in prison. This guard was the one that had the key to all the cells, and if, if a prisoner, again, they all received life sentence here, if they happened to pass away in their their cell, he was the one who opened it up and carried the body out in the casket. That was her mark. Now this aged guard was going blind and he needed a state-of-the-art surgery. But the problem was he couldn't afford it. Could never afford it. So the wealthy lady pulled him aside and let him know that she would absolutely pay every single dime of that surgery in exchange for his help in getting her to escape. He kept refusing at first. She'd come to him day after day, and he would refuse and say, no way. But she kept reminding him that she was the only one that could help save his eyesight. And over time, day after day, she finally wore him down to the point where he finally gives in. He finally agrees to help her out. So this was her plan. Her plan was the next time an inmate died, he would unlock her cell and let her climb into the casket with that dead body and then be carried out of the, of the, uh, of the jail. While in that casket, she'd be carried out of the jail To the funeral, when the guard would come and then dig up the casket and set her free. Pretty maniacal plan, wasn't it? But that's what she came up with. The day finally came. She slipped into the casket and she was carried out of the prison. She patiently waited, as the, uh, uh, you know, grinning from ear to ear as the funeral ended. And then she heard the the shovels full of dirt being put on top of that casket, covering her over. The next day came, and she was just full of excitement, anticipating her freedom once again. But hour after hour ticked by, and no one came. Then the next day came and went, and day after day went by. And no one ever showed up. The movie comes to an end with the camera fixed upon that woman. Laying in that casket. Laying next to the dead body of the very man who was supposed to let her free. He was the one who died. But in her selfish ambitions, in her selfish greed, she never once looked over at the face of the dead body next to her. Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 12. This is also repeated in Proverbs 16, this very same verse. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way Of death. There is a way. uh, There is a way that seems right to man. But the end. Is the way of death. This woman will never ever. Get out of that grave. Amen. Now. That story may be from a fictional movie. But it does speak volumes of truth. Amen. Someday. Someday. A casket awaits every single one of us. The question is, what is your plan to get out of it? What is your plan to get out of it and get into heaven? The only answer, the only solution is through Jesus Christ. We can't buy our way out. We can't earn our way out. The only way is through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the precious blood He shed on Calvary's cross. Friend, there is no greater issue in your life that you need to settle right here and right now than that. How are you going to get out of that grave? The answer is Christ and Him alone. I invite you to come, come unto Christ and be set free, be set free from your sins, be set free from your guilt, be set free from your anxiety, the worry of what's going to happen next. Where am I going to spend eternity? God does not want us to be ignorant on that. He wants us to be assured of where we will spend eternity. And that assurance only comes through Jesus Christ, the one who gives us victory over the grave, the one who gives us victory over death and over hell. And he's the one holding out his nail-scarred hands, inviting you to come unto him to find peace and rest and comfort. Are you ready?